Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. We've been walking through a sermon series called Fearless, and last week we asked the question, why? Why are we afraid? And we discovered as we looked at Jesus stilling the storm that that sometimes we see Jesus asleep rather than the one who can save. But in that story, we saw Jesus stop the storm, take the trouble away. So what happens in our lives when the challenges continue, when we keep facing the same thing over and over, or a new challenge pops up? What if God doesn't take those challenges away right now? Jeremiah, through Lamentations chapter 3, is going to give us encouragement today to remain fearless, to imagine our lives without fear, even as we face the challenges of this life. Maybe you've taken a look when you've been at your doctor's office at all of the diplomas that your doctor might have on his wall. Maybe a dentist's office. Maybe for students, you've walked into your prep for professor's office and seen those diplomas on the wall. They're often from different universities with different degrees. And, and we might ask ourselves, well, why? Why do you put those things up on the wall? Isn't it for our benefit? Isn't it so that we have confidence that they can carry out the things that we need them for? If it's a professor, then they're qualified to teach the class. They're masters of the subject material, right? If it's a doctor or a dentist, we know they can take care of whatever it is that's hurting us or ailing us. It's a way for us to be told, you're okay. You're in good hands. But have you ever noticed that that confidence and a little piece of paper hanging on the wall can erode pretty quickly. When the diagnosis comes and you know it's going to be difficult or when that impossible assignment or the test that just didn't seem to be on the material that was taught happens, you say, are these people really qualified for what they're set up to do? Do we treat God that way? Do we know God's qualifications, know that he's capable of saving and yet worry and complain and become anxious and wonder if God really knows what he's doing? Jeremiah has a reminder for us today to shift our focus, to change our mindset, and to remember to focus on our Savior in the midst of those challenges. That's the truth we want to take from Lamentations chapter 3 today, that we can be fearless in the face of challenges. And here's what Jeremiah is going to help us see, that When we starve our fears, when we don't fixate on them, when we don't make them the focus of everything that happens, then we can beat them as we feed our faith. Can I ask you a question this morning? When's the last time you read through the book of Lamentations? It's okay. It's been a while for me, too. I was kind of thankful to have to do it again this week to prepare for the sermon today. It's not the most cheerful book in the Bible. It's a little gloomy. Maybe you can even tell by the title. It's a bunch of laments, lamentations, right? The Greek people gave it this name, the Tears of Jeremiah. And as you read through lamentations, it's tough to hear all of the troubles that Jeremiah and the people of God were going through. Jeremiah is the one who's credited as the author. Even though he is never mentioned by name as the author in the book, he is, well, it makes sense that it's him because he's the one who recounted those same events in the book of Jeremiah, his prophecy. 
Traditionally and historically, the church has credited authorship to Jeremiah, so we'll operate today with the assumption that Jeremiah is the author of these words and lamentations. He is a good poet, too, because this book is actually written in the form of five acrostic poems. An acrostic poem basically goes in alphabetical order. And so there are 22 verses, or 22 words, letters in the Hebrew language, and each of the chapters has 22 verses that go from the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet to the last, with one exception, and that's chapter 3. In chapter 3, there are three poems, acrostic poems, 66 verses in the chapter, and we're going to look today at the end of the first of those poems and the beginning of the second in verses 21 through 24. Let's just say it this way. The situation was bleak in Judah. The people had watched as their beloved temple was torn to the ground and Jerusalem itself was destroyed. And that destruction that the people witnessed, it broke their hearts. They weren't sure what to do next. Many of them were carried off into captivity in Babylon and they were in pain, hopeless, wondering what God was doing. Even Jeremiah, we could say, as you read his words in Lamentations, is struggling not just with spiritual pain, but physical and emotional pain as well. Maybe the best phrase I can come up with is that Jeremiah was heartsick over the sins of his people, over the judgment that God had visited upon them, and over the hopelessness of the situation in which he found himself. That's what makes the words that he speaks in chapter 3 so amazing. Because surrounded by all of these laments are beautiful words of gospel that Jeremiah shares. Listen again to chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What Jeremiah had to do is switch his mindset. He had to think differently. He had to remove his focus from his fears and put it on his Savior. Whoa, got a little carried away there. <laughs> Was that me? Sorry. Oh, now we're, oh, we got the right one. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. Was it this? Okay. All right. Thanks for bearing with us. Technical difficulties. Yes, yeah, so Jeremiah, as he switches his mindset, comes back to the promises of God. And as he comes back to those promises of God, he lists five of them, five promises that he counts on. In my own head, I always picture him holding out his hand and like ticking them off one at a time on his fingers. This is a promise of God. This is a promise of God I can trust. Just listen again to these promises that he lists. First, he says that because of God's great love for us, we are not consumed. That word in the original language, love, is the same word that we find in Psalm 23 where David wrote this, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That idea of God's compassion, his mercy, his love, his grace is all wrapped up in that Hebrew word chesed. It's hard to put into one English word, but it's God's deep heart for each one of us. And then he goes on to number two. That love of God, his compassions, are unfailing. They never fail. Maybe the Apostle Paul was thinking of this very verse when he wrote, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Moves on to number three and says, 
His mercies are new every morning. Daily, God's mercy and grace visits us. Every day, each day is a gift of God's grace that we get in this life. And then finally, in number four, he says, Great is your faithfulness. What Jeremiah trusted is that God would always do what he had promised. Just a few minutes ago, you heard our worship band sing that not once, never, has God's promise, a promise of God gone unfulfilled. And all of these, Jeremiah adds up to say, this is why I have hope. This is what I call to mind so that I can have hope in the midst of a bleak situation. As I thought about that, it took me back to our gospel lesson for today. There's Jesus walking out to the disciples on the lake. They're afraid. They think it's a ghost. Jesus calms their fears, tells them it's him. And then there's Peter, right? Gotta love Peter, don't you? Lord, if it's you, let me walk out to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And he does. Peter's walking on the water out to Jesus. And then he notices the wind, the waves, and he starts to sink. See, Peter's focus changed, didn't it? It went from Jesus to the troubles that were right in front of him, and he lost sight of the one who was giving him the strength to do what he was doing. He was sinking fast. Maybe you felt like Peter or Jeremiah, like you're sinking in life, like things aren't going the way you'd like them to, like maybe nobody cares. It's easy to feel that way, isn't it? All we have to do is look around in this world and identify things that can easily become fears, things that make us afraid, that, that take our focus off of Jesus. I mean, semester finals are coming up in just a couple of weeks. It's a big deal. Those are things that cause anxiety and fears and worries. And then what about the internship I'm trying to get or the job that I want to have after graduation? What about my family, and some of the decisions that we have to make in the family that we're not sure where it's going to go. What about health, sickness? What about finances? There's so many things that can make us afraid in this life, that make us feel like we're sinking. And when we feed those fears, when we feed those fears with our worries and our dread, when we focus on those fears, it has a way of crowding God out of our hearts. So Jeremiah would remind us today to put up a sign. Put up a sign in your heart and in your head that says, don't feed the fears. You've probably been to the zoo where it tells you not to feed the bears or other animals, right? Don't feed your fears. Instead, shift your gaze. Shift your gaze from the wind and the waves to the Savior. The Savior who's made all of these promises to you and to me. Some of you are sitting there bothered because my math hasn't been good. I told you there were five promises and I only went through four of them. Here's number five in verse 24. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. This fifth promise that Jeremiah ticks off on his hand might be my favorite because it had to do with something that Jeremiah couldn't even see at the present. That idea of being his portion has to do with the allotment of land that every single tribe and family member of the people of Israel received in the land that God promised to give them in Canaan. It was a piece of land, a piece of property that was passed down from generation to generation. And here's Jeremiah, away from all of that, captive in Babylon, 
but he can still say, God has a place for me. My portion, my place, a plot of land. That's something that God was still going to fulfill. And so Jeremiah says, I can wait. I can wait for the Lord to act. We're not great at that, are we? Waiting for the Lord. When I pray to God, I'd like to have an answer yesterday, if not right after I'm done praying. And yet there's real value, isn't there, in God's making us wait? In God having us wrestle with things that are going on in our life so that we're forced to look to him? That we're forced to keep our gaze on him? That's what Jeremiah is doing here. When everything all around him seemed to be going haywire, he's looking directly at the promises of God. Jeremiah's advice for us today is don't let those fears get the better of you. Don't let them engulf you like the waves and the wind that Peter saw as he was walking on the water. Instead, feed your faith. I love how Jeremiah seems to be giving himself a godly pep talk, right? This is what I call to mind in the midst of trouble. And everything that Jeremiah said focused on the object of his faith. It's why he could trust the promises because it wasn't about how much faith Jeremiah had. It's not about how much faith you and I have. It's about who that faith is in, who is the object of our faith. And that's our Savior, Jesus. I'd like to give you an assignment this week. Remember, I don't check up on you. But if you want to share an email with me or send me your promises, can you do this? Find in God's word those five things that you can tick off on your own fingers. When fears and challenges in your life come up, find five promises of God that remind you that there is no reason to fear because when you're focused on Jesus, when you feed your faith through his word and those promises, that's what will help you stand through the challenges of life. Can I give you mine? They might change by tomorrow, but here are the five I thought of for today. Right? God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God promised me, promises me that he will work for good in all things for those who love him. God promises me that in his house, in my father's house, are many rooms and that he's going to prepare a place for me to live with him forever. God promises me that if he's for me, nothing can stand against me. God promises me that in this world, you might have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You know what? That's not going to take my troubles away, is it? It's not going to empty my life of every challenge, but what it does is it takes away the disappointment. It takes away the frustration because I get to focus on the thing that really matters, the promises of Savior, my Savior. When I remember what Jesus has done, that, that he has set aside that place for me in heaven, then what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8 becomes so clear. God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That Savior Jesus who is willing to go to a cross for you, that Jesus who rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, that's the one who promises that he'll watch over you, that he'll graciously give you all things as he leads you through this life to the room that he has prepared for you with your name on it in heaven. Psalm 45, the writer says this, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Great is his faithfulness. 
And because those promises always come true, we can count on them every single day. A few takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, when we feed our fears, faith will starve. When we feed our faith, fears do. That's why the Apostle John could write this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Number two, we call to mind the mercies of God that are new every morning. Peter could write this. The same Peter who walked on the water and then began to sink said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Finally, number three, we know that God's promises never fail and he removes our fears. In the prophet Isaiah's book, we read this in chapter 54, though the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, my unfailing love for you will never be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. In his book, Fearless, Max Lucado talks about the diplomas that God has hung in the universe. It's a great thought, isn't it? Every time you see a beautiful sunset or mountain grandeur or a puppy or beautiful music being played, isn't that a diploma of God hung for us to see? But God goes even further, doesn't he? In his word, he's laid out all kinds of his diplomas for us. Diplomas that parted seas. A diploma that reminds us that David could take down Goliath. A diploma that says God can raise the dead. There's nothing impossible for God. But can we take it even one step further? Aren't the greatest things that God has hung on his wall pictures of a cross? Pictures of a tomb that's empty? Because that's our guarantee that our sins are forgiven. That's our guarantee that our place in heaven with him is secure. And so that's what we want to focus on. To shift our gaze from our fears to what Christ has done the faith that we can have and the promises that he's given. And when we feed that faith, that's when Jesus will take away those fears. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. What can mere people do to me? Amen. Peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.